open our Bibles to the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapters 28 to 33, Isaiah 28 to 33. It is a somewhat larger passage of scripture, therefore we won't be reading it all. At least for me, I want to get home to lunch. But please keep it open. I hope you had the chance to read it during the week. And since we'll be making reference to it, just keep it the Bible open on your lap, please. Let's pray. Father, what we do not know, teach us. What we do not have, give us. What we are not, make us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We ask you this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of of the Holy Spirit, one God forever praised. Amen. Do you trust me? Yeah, that laughter is not good. Uh, I know, probably you heard this question many times, right? And I'm sure you also asked this question many times. Many people would definitely say that we are living a crisis of confidence today. We don't know in whom to trust. Long gone are the days in which we could just turn on the TV and listen to Walter Conkright. We feel like we can't trust the news. We can't trust the doctors. We can't trust the politicians. Sadly, often it feels like we can't trust even our loved ones. But let me change gears and ask you a different question. Do you trust God? I know the Sunday school answer is, of course I do. But think about it. Every time we sing, we are saying, God, I don't trust you. I'm going to do things my way. Two weeks ago, we saw God pronouncing judgment against 11 nations. Last week, we saw God pronouncing judgment against all the earth. This week we focus on Judah. Isaiah 28 to 33 contains six woes against Judah, Israel, and other nations. I'm going to structure the sermon according to these six woes. A woe is a pronouncement of judgment. God is pronouncing his judgment because they are sinning against him. Judah 
Israel and other nations. Specifically, they do not trust God. Peter Gentry says that this section, Isaiah 28 to 33, is all about whether people will trust in God or not. He actually calls this section trusting the nations versus trusting the word of God. The background for these chapters is the expansion of the Assyrian Empire and the decline of Israel and Judah. Remember, Isaiah preached in the days of Uzziah, Jotan, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. In 701 BC, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, threatened Jerusalem. So, what should Hezekiah, the king of Judah, do? One of the options before him was to make an alliance with Egypt against Assyria. And it is against this background that Isaiah is saying, don't trust the nations. Instead, trust in the word of God. What does it mean to trust God? I, it means different things depending on situations that we are living. So my prayer today is that we will understand better what it means to trust God. Because of whom God is and what he has done, we can trust him. So chapter 28 contains a woe to Ephraim. Ephraim is the northern kingdom of Israel. And also a woe to Judah. See verse 1. Ah, which is the same as woe, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. Verse 1 contains a very poetic reference to Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. Samaria was the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. But verse 2 says that the Lord has one who is mighty and strong, like a storm of hail, a destroying tempest, like a storm of might, overflowing waters, he casts down to the earth with his hand. This is a reference to Assyria. It is saying that God will use Assyria to judge Israel. Now, please look with me to what God is saying on verses 5 and 6. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. So God will use Assyria to judge Israel, and he will be a crown of glory 
and a diadem of beauty to the remnants of his people. Is Israel the only one that will be judged? No. Look with me to verse 7. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priests and the prophets reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. So Isaiah is talking about the inhabitants of Jerusalem, mainly the priests and prophets. The priests, prophets, and kings were the leaders in Israel. They should be models for the people. But instead, they were mocking Isaiah's message. Look with me to verses 9 and 10. To whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from milk? Those taken from the breast? For it's precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. I guess you can hear the sound of mocking in these lines. God's answer in verses 11 to 13 that since they wouldn't listen to Isaiah, he would talk to them through Assyria. Now, read with me verses 14 and 23. Verse 14. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule these people in Jerusalem. 23. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Trusting in God means listening to him. Trusting in God means listening to him. How can we see this better? This is what James says in chapter 1. Know these, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant weakness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James is alerting the early Christians that especially when we are angry, we talk too much, we listen too little. Especially when we are angry with God because things did not go our way. We stop listening to God. We need to listen to God. There is usually a lot of noise around us. A lot of competing voices. I bet there are many quote-unquote foreign nations competing for our attention right now. Self-help gurus, YouTubers, preachers on TV, that person from work or school or family who seems to know it all, God will talk to us, either as a loving father or as a judge. Either way, we will listen to God. 
But God wants first to talk to us as a loving father. God speaks to us through scripture. The Bible is the word of God. Some people find this disappointing. I guess they would like to actually hear God speaking. There is a Brazilian pastor called Augustus Nicodemus, and he usually says, do you want to hear God speaking out loud? Then open your Bible and read it out loud. I don't mean this to sound harsh. I want to tell you that God wants to talk to you through Scripture as a loving Father. Therefore, let's listen to Him. The second woe in this passage is on chapter 29, verses 1 through 14. It is a woe against Jerusalem, David's city. Jerusalem is called Ariel in this chapter. Ariel is not a very common name for Jerusalem, but that's what it is. Ariel means Lion of God. Ari, Lion, El, God. A little Hebrew for you. But in these verses, we read that Jerusalem was honoring God with their lips, while their hearts were far from God. Read with me verses 13 and 14 on chapter 29. And the Lord said, Because these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by man, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with these people, with wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Trusting God means worshiping with our hearts. Trusting God means worshiping with our hearts. We already saw that in Isaiah, back in chapter 1, where he says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of goats. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. That is also what James says. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the word. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warned and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We need to worship God with our hearts, not just with our lips. God is not interested in us coming to church Sunday after Sunday if our hearts are not truly changed. Look at verses 11 and 12 in Isaiah 29. And the vision of all these has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, Read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, Read this, he says, I cannot read. Judah refused to listen to God for so long that they eventually became unable to listen. But for us, there is still time. Listen to the word of God. Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. For in doing so, there is great reward. The next woe in this passage is in chapter 29, verses 15 to 24. It is a woe against those who rely on foreign alliances. Look with me, please, to verses 15 and 16. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us, who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me, or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? The people were so proud that they thought that God didn't know what they were doing. But read with me verses 22 to 24. Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall no more be ashamed. No more shall his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in the midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. Trusting God means making Him holy in our hearts. What does this mean? This is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, who is there to harm you? if you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, 
nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. God is holy. Whether we know that or not. Actually, this is what Isaiah says in chapter 6, if you remember. God is holy, holy, holy. To be holy means to be set apart. It means that God is special. He is in a category that belongs to him alone. No one is like God. God is fully dedicated to himself. Holiness is the most fundamental attribute of God. It is who God is. But notice what Peter is saying in what we just read. We need to set Christ apart in our hearts. The same thing applies to what Isaiah is saying. It is not sufficient to acknowledge intellectually that God is holy. It is necessary, but it's not sufficient. We need to bring that into our hearts. The heart here is not that organ inside our chest that pumps blood. It is the innermost of our beings. In the innermost of our beings, we need to acknowledge who God is. We need to honor God as holy in our hearts. We need to understand that suffering for God is better than suffering for doing evil. This means that we don't compromise. Israel was compromising. They were building secret alliances with foreign nations. If we are in Christ, then we are in an alliance with God. We are in a covenant with him. And God is jealous. We belong to him. He doesn't accept competition. So refuse to, quote-unquote, make alliances with foreign nations. Don't compromise. Next time someone invites you to sin, invites you to find an easy way out of trouble, simply answer, I'm already taken. I belong to God. Chapter 30 contains a woe to the stubborn children of Israel. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. In this chapter, the background that we mentioned in the introduction becomes more clear. 
under the threat of the Assyrian Empire, Judah was seeking an alliance with Egypt. Instead of doing that, they should wait for the Lord. Read with me verses 15 and 18. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Trusting in God means waiting for him. Trusting God means waiting for him. Here's how we can see this better. Uh, the background for this chapter that we read in Second Chronicles 32 is that Hezekiah prepared great defenses against Assyria. He planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city, and they helped him. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it, and outside it he built another wall and strengthened the Milo in the city of David. He also made up weapons and shields in abundance, and he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. So Hezekiah did all that when Assyria was attacking. But we also read in Isaiah 36 that he was waiting for Egypt to come and save him from Assyria. We need to wait for the Lord. You are single. You want to be intimate with her significant daughter. You don't want to wait until marriage. You are in school. You want to finish. You feel tempted to cheat. You want that job. You feel tempted to lie or steal. You have been threatened by somebody. You want to escape. You have been offended by somebody. You want revenge. Don't look for sinful solutions to your problems. Wait for the Lord. I won't have time to develop this a lot, but I want to say three things. Waiting is normal. Waiting is good. Waiting is possible. The best way for us to wait is to know this. God is also waiting. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. 
all you have to do is return to him and rest. Be quiet and trust the Lord. Chapters 21 and 32 contain a woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Read with me verses 6 and 7 in chapter 31. Trust, turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day, everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. Again, this is very similar to what we read in chapter 30. But here, as we just read, going to Egypt is compared to idolatry. Going down to Egypt is nothing short of idolatry. Trusting in God means casting away our idols. This is what I mean. Some idols are very obvious. Little statues of silver and gold. Many peoples in many cultures still worship idols like that. But I guess that for us, idols can be much more subtle. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life. As John Calvin rightly said, the human heart is an idol factory. We are made for worship, and we will worship something. I doubt that any of us will worship Egypt, but we can worship other things. Our jobs, our family, our reputation. The most likely idol is what we see in the mirror every day. We need to cast away our idols. Anything that tries to take God's place in our life must be cast away. Jesus said, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. I don't think that Jesus meant that we must literally tear our eyes out or cut our hands off, but his words are to be taken seriously. Anything that is taking God's place in your life must go. Perhaps your job causes you to sin. Perhaps it is a friendship. More likely, it is the way you want other people to see you. Just like Egypt couldn't save Israel, your idols will not be able to save you. Your idols can't bring what you expect from them, so throw them away. The sixth wolf in chapter 23 is against Assyria. But there is also blessing for God's people. Assyria, the destroyer who have not been destroyed, will be destroyed. Assyria, the traitor who none has betrayed, will be betrayed. But the people of God will be saved. Read with me verses 17 and 22. 
Your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Trusting in God means keeping our eyes on Jesus. Remember what we read in Isaiah chapter 6? In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the king, the Lord of armies. King Uzziah was dead, but God was very much alive. Like they say in England, the king is dead. Long live the king. That was the basis for Isaiah's ministry. Now that Assyria was still a threat, God was still alive and reigning. And there's one last thing that I want us to see. Something that is from chapter 28 and that I left for last on purpose. Chapter 28, verse, verse 14. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule these people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. This cornerstone, of course, is Jesus. If we believe in Jesus, if, you tr if we trust him, we will not be in haste. We won't need to run. We will be able to stand still and trust because he is our king. Keep your eyes on Jesus when you feel threatened, when you feel that you have to prove yourself to others, when you feel alone. Jesus stood still and received on him the penalty for our sins. The threat he faced was much greater than Assyria, much greater than anything we will ever face. He conquered death. And he emerged victorious. First John 5 says, And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Behold our God, seated on his throne. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Isaiah 28 to 33 contains six woes against Israel, Judah, and other nations because they didn't trust God. They broke God's covenant. They didn't trust God. But God's covenant with Jesus says, You can trust me. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. 
and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, as Brother Jason prayed before, we confess that we don't trust you. We trust in so many things. Many, we trust in ourselves. And we fail. All idols fail. Forgive us, Lord, and please help us to trust you, to look to Jesus and to know that as you gave your son for us, you will give with him all things. Please renew our trust in you and transform our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.